Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. It's 2016, 17, 18, and 19. It's the years where Boss Baby tells Deadpool to go back to La La Land under the moonlight and get out of here. It's the best of the decade, part three. Welcome to Unspooled. Unspooled. I am Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear, And this is the best of the decade part three. We are going hard down the decade from 2016 to 2019 this week. We're not even going to talk about Star Wars uh, and the reaction to it that you all had because we are kind of on a mini vacation right now. We're just going to jump in to the regular episode and deal with this. This is what we have in front of us. And maybe when we get back from vacation, we can talk about uh, all things uh, Rise of Skywalker. Also, finally get to your picks for best of the decade because there's a lot of things that are left on the table still, I feel like. People have called and we have a lot of great celebrity calls in our fourth episode and also your calls, which I think are bringing to light some films that we didn't even talk about. This is good. This is good. I feel like it takes a village to really compile a list. I know. And I think, you know, when we just isolate a list down to one or two picks, we really do a disservice to all the great film out there. And that's what I'm finding out in this. So without any further ado, let's get into it, shall we, Amy? Let's do it. Now watch when my mouth actually moves. <laughs> That's not me making that noise, it's the mask! Here, listen. <laughs> the year is 2016. Chewbacca Mom proved that sometimes the dumbest bits are the best ones. Deadpool became the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, the highest grossing X-Men film, and the highest grossing 20th Century Fox film not directed by James Cameron or George Lucas. Athletes in Olympic Village were provided with 450,000 condoms, up from 100,000 condoms in 2008 and 70,000 in 2000. Metallica's Master of Puppets became the first metal recording to be inducted into the U.S. Library of Congress. America 
Americans pay over $15 billion in bank overdraft fees, and the top song is Love Yourself by Justin Bieber. The Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture goes to Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party. The losers that year were also Gods of Egypt, Batman v Superman, Dirty Grandpa, and Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, Amy, what did the AFI pick as some of the best films of 2016? Well, first, of that list, I kind of want to stand up for Gods of Egypt. I thought that movie was so funny. I know you really liked it. We did a whole episode <laughs> on it, uh, on how did this get made. I, cannot, I can't stand next to you on that fight at all, but it seems like, it seems like you have uh, Paperboy Syndrome on uh, Gods of Egypt. Giant gods in hot tubs. I mean, look, I, Gerard Butler, I'm in. I mean, I'm already in. I'm just saying it's not the best. Okay, it's not the best. It's not the best. The best, according to the AFI for 2016... Here were their titles, again, in alphabetical order. Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, Silence, Soli, Zootopia. Wow, interesting list. And you know, La La Land is definitely a big film of this year. And I was thinking about that in in context to the artist, both doing something that was uh, from a time past. And obviously La La Land is not taking place in the past, but it's kind of reinvigorating this art form or, or bringing back to the mainstream something that we don't really see in cinema. And I think La La Land gets the same amount of attention at the Academy Awards, but yet the artist, not on the AFI list back when we were talking about it again. And I know that there's been some interesting idea like, well, is it, uh, you know, is this an American film? We don't know. But I go to the point that this year in the 2019 list, Parasite has a special mention on the AFI list. So there are ways to get on this list. It's not as cut and dry as we once thought. Yeah, sometimes I feel like whatever makes it on the AFI list is whatever AFI is willing to fight for. Right. It's like, no, we want that. Lawrence of Arabia's ours. Right. You know, Clockwork can... Orange is ours. Exactly. Exactly. They're a little bit like, <clears throat> you going to take it from me? <laughs> and I think, honestly, as we go into the future, that's just going to get more and more complicated. You know, half the films that get made here in America are made with, like, money from foreign, like, distributors and foreign yeah. production companies. Oh, my overseas. gosh. So everything's complicated. God it, only knows. It's crazy. I mean, there's scenes that are shot now in our feature films that are catering just to audiences in China. I mean, actors are being put in films. I mean, Transformers did that. Mission Impossible did that. Uh, I believe one of the Iron Mans. Um, this is a big year for, I, I would describe them as disposable popcorn movies. I mean, there's a couple ones that stand out, but we're talking about, uh, you know, Finding Dory, Zootopia, The Jungle Book, Secret uh, Life of Pets, Fantastic Beasts, Suicide Squad, Doctor Strange, uh, sing, you know, and then you have your other ones that are a little bit more high fluting, like Civil War in here, and you also have Deadpool, which you know is not high fluting, but you know doing something a little bit different. Uh, you also have a Star Wars spinoff, uh, Rogue One. But it's an interesting year of these are very big movies. They are they made a lot of money, but they're not arguably incredibly memorable. I would say the one that I think is the best done of that list in that big budget uh, way. Uh, besides Deadpool, um, was Captain America Civil War, which I felt was the uh, Avengers movie that I wanted to see. Like, I think that's like a big, uh, really great, like kind of solidifies the Russo brothers, like stamp on the Marvel franchise. You know, in merging all these characters in this one giant scene and the introduction of Spider-Man, which I, I don't know, I the like fanboy in me really loved seeing all those characters together in a way that felt really fulfilling after, honestly... I felt left down by the first two Avengers. I like them fine, but they're not my favorite like Marvel films. 
Uh, but where do you feel about Deadpool? I liked Deadpool a bit. I liked Deadpool yeah. in, in fits and starts. I actually am kind of a Ryan Reynolds apologist. I think Ryan Reynolds has, is, has done some great films. And I, for some reason, he becomes kind of like a punching bag. And honestly, I was excited for the Deadpool because... Uh, Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool showed up, I think, in a Wolverine movie, was it? Like yes. six years earlier. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was the best part of that movie. And he was. Deadpool showed up. So I was and like, oh, very Deadpool. neutered. And very neutered in that, uh, like, in that cameo. Like, they literally tape his mouth shut at a certain point in the movie. Like, I think that was, like, part of his thing. Like, he could not speak, which is all of Deadpool's. I mean, you would argue that's one of his superpowers, is being uh, kind of a cocky asshole. Yeah, exactly. So I I like Deadpool. I really liked other films from this year. I think the film that had the best trailer, even if the film didn't quite measure up to it, was Keanu. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the movie where Key and Peele are on the search for the most adorable little kitten of all time. Yes. Oh, that movie was super fun, uh, but the trailer was a work of art. I like I, when I saw the trailer, I was like, "Please be as good as this." And it was <laughs> close, but yeah. Well, let's let's maybe talk about bridging the gap between these two worlds. And the one movie that I feel like is worthy of of conversation. And I feel like I've become this like real defender for animation in these conversations, but it's Sausage Party, which I is- I love Sausage Party. It's such a funny movie and it's so bold and we haven't seen anything like this. I guess the closest thing would be like Fritz the Cat, but I haven't even seen Fritz the Cat. I'm just basing that on the fact that I couldn't see Fritz the Cat when I was a kid, but I think Fritz the Cat may have like a dick and- and there might be boobs in it. I'm not sure. I'm not going to even check it out. But I'm going to tell you. I'm actually not sure either. But now I'm curious because aren't cats, they're barbed, right? I mean, but I feel like that was kind of like the thing. It's like, let's Does see some boobs. I don't know. I mean, oh boy, now I've got to look. A, Fritz well, the cat. We don't have to. Uh, we can keep talking about Sausage Party because I really like Sausage Party. Sausage Party is this movie that is incredibly, incredibly vulgar. I mean, and, and funny and, oh yeah, I'm looking right now. Fritz the cat. There are boobs oh, in it. Oh, wow. That's actual sex. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot going on. I mean, Whoa, look. It's called final sex scene, the clip you found. That means uh, there must be others. Well, it's our crumb. So, I mean, there you go. Um, Do the cats have? No, they don't have multiple tits. Well, talking it's about. Very biologically appropriate. Talking about tits and sex. I mean, that there is a kind of a great segue into Sausage Party because that's what we're seeing in Sausage Party. We're seeing really like that end scene where they have this like giant food orgy is a pretty like, uh, you know, I always like say like I, it takes a lot to kind of shock me or to be surprised at. And that final scene is like, whoa, they really, really went for it. It's super dirty. It's super bold. And I love, I just love that we live in a world where we can, we take chances. And I feel like those are the movies like, and I think Deadpool's a movie like this too, like uh, where we can just go at something and try to be like, let's do it differently. Let's, even if it doesn't fully work, I'm so excited to see just a form that we're comfortable with be incredibly subverted. Yeah. And I really like what Sausage Party had to say about religion and fanaticism and belief Yeah, and the idea of the world behind the door, the world behind the gates of like, what are we all questing for? Yeah. I thought the film had really fun ideas about, you know, division within a country. Yeah. I, don't know, I really enjoyed that film a lot, honestly. I think the movie is incredibly smart. And I I think the reason why it worked is because they, they kind of Trojan horsed how smart the movie is with how dumb fun and vulgar it is right yeah. like you can get in the door because you're gonna watch like hot dogs fucking a bun but you are 
you may leave a little bit change. And I, I think we talk about this idea like of films being this, you know, this pill that you can sometimes take and it will open your mind or you can- Not a red pill. Not a red pill. Oh my gosh. Uh, no, Amy. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, it's one of these movies that I think start to allow you to look at things in a different way. And that movie did. I was really surprised at how uh, it took on religion. That was really interesting to me. Yeah, I agree. I love that it was simultaneously the smartest movie and the dumbest movie in the same breath all the time within every single animation cell. Sometimes I feel like in animation, I know we talked about the interview a little while ago too, but I think that sometimes animation, stop motion, uh, you're able to do a little bit more without it feeling heavy handed. I don't know. Like I, I don't see comedies saying as much as these films, you know, those, the ones that we just listed, except for Fritz the Cat. I think Fritz the Cat is all about fucking, but, uh, you know, uh, did about, about society you know, like and the world. And also geopolitics. <laughs> but what do you think it is? I mean, you know, you, you see so many films like that animation is kind of this, you know, it, it, you know, makes it a little bit you more digestible. Hot dog and I know. Yeah, it really there. was. It really was. Um, I think. I don't know. Maybe it's because you can literally do anything. You have a blank right. page. You're not even limited by, say, like if you're trying to direct a comedy scene, maybe your actor's not quite delivering it the way you want it in their head in a way that's underwhelming. Maybe you can't physically make these things happen that you can imagine. And so maybe there's something in really just being able to control the pen and control all of the images. And mm. the fact that if you're going to sit down into the theater and you know that you're watching a talking hot dog, you're already just buying into the premise and so they know that the audience has agreed to go with them wherever they're going to go. Yeah, I would also say that sometimes by taking a face out of it, like not looking at someone that we can recognize as real, it doesn't seem as preachy because sometimes I think you start to wrap up people's politics and you wrap up, you know, the director's point of view in it. But like animation sometimes shields us from that in a weird way. It, it allows us to kind of really treat these unreal characters as if they have no agenda, even though they completely have an agenda because they're by the writer and director. But yet it seems to be a little less, uh, it seems to be a little less than if you're looking at someone saying it or seeing, seeming, I guess you can't even be that goofy. Like you can't be as goofy as Sausage Party in, in real life. You just can't. I mean, that you, you can't create that. What it was is insane, you know? And I wonder if we, I was thinking about this yesterday because I was thinking about about um, Ali G mm. and Borat and Bruno and his entire, Sasha Baron Cohen's entire body of work and how it seemed like we really went quickly from he's the coolest, funniest thing on earth to, oh, that old thing again, you're doing mm. that thing. And I wonder if when you have a real personality in your humor, but you animate it completely all the time, people get sick of it less or they get sick of you less. I, I mean, I have a theory on the Ali G thing, which is, I feel like Ali G was successful because he was naive and he was about kind of revealing people's truest selves because they trusted him. And as it kind of has progressed, he was more up against people that we knew were kind of evil and then just showing us, yeah, they're evil. So there wasn't any like thing that you're walking away from where I kind of loved that in an attempt to befriend this person that they thought was a simple-minded person. And that could be Bruno, that could be Borat, uh, that could be Ali G. They revealed themselves to be really like a trash monster person. Maybe now our culture has kind of moved past that. Like we're okay with being trash monsters. Like people are okay. Like Dick Cheney's okay with signing like a bottle for waterboarding. Like, you know, so 
I don't know at that point, like, how do you even, you know, if we are applauding and rewarding people who are garbage people, then there's no joy in like saying like, oh, look, they are actually our garbage people. Like, yeah, this guy who has like crazy points of view about guns are, is willing to give guns to children. Like, yeah, I like, yeah, I got that. Like, you know, I think I'm, I think that that, that's the element that I was missing sometimes and where I kind of really enjoyed some of the latest uh, Sasha Baron Cohen characters is when he was a little bit more low status and, and, and got to see people reacting in a genuine way and not, uh, not necessarily just revealing what I already knew. That makes sense. Also, wait, is Sausage Party your pick? No, it's not my pick. I just wanted to talk about it because I think it kind of crosses this line of big budget blockbuster, but doing something very artistic, and, you know, and it's just, it's worthy of an honorable mention. I kind of actually had a hard time with this year's pick. I, I went back and forth. I think I, you know, I had three that I went back and forth between. And, and I think if what helped me decide was basically going, what would the AFI pick on this list? We've talked a lot about the AFI, you know, rewards and, and, and what is important. And we've, uh, we've also talked about my love of the lobster and your love of the lobster. I think that movie is great. I don't think that that's necessarily like an AFI movie. I also love hell and high water. Great movie. I don't think it's an AFI movie. I think for me, it's pretty simply like when you look at this year at 2016, Moonlight culturally is the film that you have to gravitate towards as being the incredible standout. The story it tells, the way it's told. I mean, I was just bowled over by this movie. It's so uh, poetic. It's so beautiful. And I was trying to pull a clip from it and I couldn't because I felt like the sum total of the scenes aren't always just like a line or, or a couple lines. It's, it's really like this build. Like I, I love the scene in the diner, you know, uh, and, and I was watching that whole scene today and I was like, oh, well, like it maybe pick this, but it really doesn't pay off until they get to the kitchen. And, but then when it does pay off in the kitchen, it's like, if I play that scene at the end, it's like that moment at the end, it's like, it's not as strong unless you watch the whole thing. It's, it's a very complex movie because it is, um, I don't know. I, I can't think of a movie that I've seen that reminds me of, you know, artistic foreign films, you know, like Moonlight. I think it's very beautifully told. It it feels otherworldly, but yet also grounded in this world. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, I really love that movie and it had an incredible effect on me. And I can tell you that the effect it had on me is so great that I've only seen it once or twice and I can remember so many details from it. Whereas if you ask me, you know, what happened in that Jason Bourne movie or, you know, or Sing, which I've seen like seven times because of my kids, I, I can't tell you a goddamn thing. So like there is something about that, like when you create these visuals that are so powerful and these performances that are so amazing. I know Marshala Ali got so much attention for that role, but I I just love Trevante Rhodes. I feel like he was the guy that should have popped from that movie. Me too. Uh, he's phenomenal. You know, I am with you. Like, I had kind of this weird, I also put Moonlight on my list, and I was reluctant to do so. And I spent a lot of time wrestling with myself about why I was reluctant to put Moonlight on the list. And, you know, I went back through, like, my whole history watching Moonlight. Like, I remember seeing it in a screening room and walking out with a friend of mine, my friend Lucas, and just, we did nothing but talk about that movie for the next three hours. You know, we were both in love with that movie. And 
it is, I think, in that year by far and away the best. And I was trying to figure out why it makes me nervous every time I'm like, well, let's put Moonlight on the list. And I realized what I think my reluctance is about the film, which is totally on me, I think, and I need and I'm trying to purge it by saying it out loud, is that I'm worried that if we put Moonlight on the list, then we'll sort of just be like, well, we did it. You know, like we'll treat it almost like a one and done thing. Like we have represented diversity. We have represented, you know, this beautiful love affair here. We don't have to do it anymore. And I feel I want Moonlight to be the beginning of the next wave of Hollywood. And I'm so worried about recognizing it and just saying that and recognizing it, it makes it the end. And I don't know why I feel like that's a jinx. Is that, am I sounding insane right now? No, you're not. But I I feel like as we continue this episode, even, we're going to talk about some other movies that are not like that Moonlight didn't like lead the path for it, but I think you're going to see maybe a wider cultural acceptance to the AFI list expanding. I think you'd have to from like 2015 on. But to me, my hesitation revolved around not the controversy of this film, but it is kind of like, you know, it kind of gets caught up in this weird Oscar thing too. And obviously it was a misread of the card, um, but it like, it's like, or am I picking that just because it's an Oscar movie or because there was so much energy around it? And it's like, no, I, I saw that movie before any of it. But it, it just seems like, not that there's baggage. I mean, I don't know. There's some weird, There, I, I have. I had a weird hesitation with it too. It was like, is it too cliche? Is it too, you know, too predictable? But it's so good. And it's none of those things. It's none of those things. It's none of those things. I put the movie back on this week and I hadn't seen it since it came out. Mm. I was like, I think I need to do this. I need to rewatch it with this clear head, trying to get rid of all this weird fear that I fear for no reason. And it's amazing. It's beautiful. I mean, I do realize when I watch it, the tiny things that are still my problems are still kind of my problems. I feel a little iffy about the female characters. I'm Mm. like, Janelle Monae is so perfect in the film, and I have never really quite understood how his mother goes from being a nurse to a drug addict in, like, one scene, but maybe I'm just missing something. Well, there's a lot going on, yeah. There's a lot going on. But to me, I mean, the style is beautiful, the dialogue is beautiful, everything that's said and everything that's not said. And my favorite character, and maybe this is also part of why I was, like, I had this quiet annoyance about Moonlight, is basically what you said. Marsha Ali is amazing in this film. But I felt like it kept us from talking about everybody else who was amazing. I and then agree. I got sort of annoyed at the film for becoming the Mahersha Ali film. Yes, I feel like that that movie, like when you also see him in contrast to everybody else, I feel like his performance is very good. But every everyone else is amazing, to amazing, be honest. Like right? my favorite actor has always been Jarell Jerome. Oh, he yeah. plays the middle Kevin, mm. the one who's like I mean, Kevin is honestly my favorite character in the film, if I could be real about it, because I think he's fascinating. Yeah. A person who has studied how to fit in and isn't necessarily an outcast, but is just tearing up his own insides to try to look popular and bringing in other people into his mess. You know, having a child with somebody, like having sex with all these women and kind of like smearing their reputation in school just so nobody will think that he might like men. Yeah. I think he's such an interesting character. And I did pick a clip, but I did pick the kitchen clip at the end. Oh, great, great. I'm glad. I want to hear them talk. So let's hear them talk. What about you? You, me? I wasn't ever really worth shit. Just kept on, man. Never really did anything I actually wanted to do. It was all I could do to do what folks thought I should be doing. I wasn't never really myself. And now? Now? 
Now, man. Now I got a little care. Got this job. Another 18 months probation. That's some real shit, man. It's a life, you know? I ain't never had that before. Like, like I'm tired as hell right now, man. And I ain't, I ain't making no more than shoe money, but I ain't got no worries, man. Not them kind what I had before. But that's that real shit. I think what happened, mm. and I was thinking about this a lot when I was watching the film, is that somehow the conversation around Moonlight, this delicate, lovely, magical, yeah. strange thing that flowers in all these directions, got flattened in my head. Somehow the conversation seemed to flatten it. And yeah. then when I watched it again, it bloomed once more for me. And I was like, this is such a beautiful story about forgiveness, about how the acts we take affect each other and like change the direction of your entire life. And it it came alive to me. I don't know what went wrong. I feel... I'm mad at myself for all the years I wasted being like, Moonlight's great. It's fine. Like, why, why, why am I unable to say it's a masterpiece? Because I think, you know, looking at these lists and talking about these movies every year, you get caught up in what the Oscar buzz is, right? Like, I look at this list right now. Like, are we talking about Manchester by the Sea? But no, but it was, everyone was talking about Manchester by the Sea. You know, La La Land. Like, you know, it's like, and it was a great movie. Hacksaw Ridge. I mean, that movie, I almost respect it for how gory that movie is. Yeah. That movie was crazy. I mean, it was the sausage party of movies where, like, the sausages are, like, uh, picking yeah. up all their old spilled SpaghettiOs. That movie was insane. I do want to say one thing, uh, though, as we are talking about La La Land, and I just want to, like, call out, we talked about Ethan Hawke. I want to call out Ryan Gosling, who I just really have a slight man crush on, besides the fact you that do. my mom showed up to his house on Thanksgiving Day by accident and he gently guided her over to the right location and was lovely about it. My mom had no idea who he was until I showed her a picture of him. And she goes, oh, yeah, that was him. Uh, lovely. But besides the fact, this is the year that he does La La Land. And there's a performance that he does in The Nice Guys, which I think is just comedy gold. He is great. Russell Crowe is great. That movie is Fun. I love the nice guys. I it, think it's so fun. Are you talking about the scene where he's sitting on the toilet and he's got the newspaper yes. and the cigarette and his pants? Yeah. And the door keeps hitting him in the face. It's that's so, the greatest comedy bit. It's so funny. But I just want to like I, I, I just want to call him out for like it's a great year of like doing two very, very different things and he's great. Um but yeah, no, I think that we get so caught up in Oscar and and then Oscar dilutes things because it become like things become important and and things become like you start to hate things. Like it's the way that you even see, you know, Twitter turn on like uh, Mayor Pete. I feel like Twitter is like turned on Mayor Pete. Like, why? I don't know. It just things just, you know, but like we just determine like now we don't like you. And. And I feel like there's this, like, you get tired of these things because they're put in our, our face. And especially for someone like you and I, where we kind of are front and center of it with screeners and screenings and posters and billboards and chat and everything. You're just like, oh, fuck it all. And so it's sometimes fun to reward the movies that people weren't talking about that year. So uh, that's that's what I chalk it up to. I agree. And here, I'm going to pull out something. I want you to see the cake I made on Oscar night. Mm-hmm. So Oscar night of this season, of the, of the infamous Moonlight La La Land season, mm-hmm. I got a cake made at Ralph's because I love to get grocery store cakes made for all occasions. And I just think it's the most beautiful thing on the planet. And I want you to see it and describe it for me. 
Okay. It's amazing. It is like a very basic, like supermarket cake, um, which, but it's blue and it has some, uh, some beautiful, uh, red roses on the side, pink roses on the side and some balloons. It says, congratulations, moonlight, but congratulations is like jutting out of the cake side. (laughs) And it is a great, that is a great looking cake. Thank you. I was very proud of it. It's very, very colorful. And I think I got it as a joke. We were watching the, those awards. For MTV News, it was me and Ira Madison. Yeah. Oh, wow. And um, we had this whole cake, and I thought I was just going to present the cake, and we were going to cry into it. And that whole moment with the cards and holding the cake and everything feeling insane, to me, that's the best purchase I've ever made in my life was that I, cake. I love that. Um, can I talk about one other film that is worthy of mentioning for 2016? Uh, Tony Erdman. Oh, yeah. Do you like that movie at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm nervous about them making an American remake. But Well, look, I mean, that's the thing that you're always going to get. I, I kind of have high hopes for the Avalanche movie with uh, Julia Louise-Dreyfus, which was like a great... Did you see that one? It was, I forget the Yeah, it's the based title. on Force Majeure. Yes, Force Majeure. Like, uh, great. If you don't know what we're talking about, watch Force Majeure. It's fantastic. Julia Louise-Dreyfus and Will Ferrell have made a remake of it. And I'm sure that will be great, too, because they're geniuses, and I feel like that's a very good pairing. Uh, but this movie is a really like funny, uh, dramatic film, uh, just basically about like a daughter who's reconnecting with her dad, who's kind of like this prankster. And, um, and it's just like, it's a beautiful, funny, interesting movie that I think, uh, I had heard people talk about a lot and I, you know, uh, it's a German, a German Austrian, uh, film. Uh, and you should check it out. Look, if you have not heard of that before, check out Tony Erdman and see it before it gets remade. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple other things I want to talk about from 2016. Yeah. Um, I did not pick, but I do really like this film a lot. It's called Morris from America. Oh, my gosh. That's a great one with Craig Robinson. I saw yeah. that in Sundance. It was great. I saw it at that Sundance, too. And it's he a- was fantastic in that movie. It's also actually German, right? It's about Craig, Rob- Craig Robinson he goes and his son to- go to Germany. Yes. His son comes with him. That's the Morris from America. Yeah. It's just about his son figuring out who his place is in Germany. A really nice movie. Like, just, you know, I feel like these are the independent movies that I really long to see, where it's like, oh, it all works. It's exactly what you want to see. Um, and Craig Robinson is really great in that movie. He is, and so is the kid. He has kind of a thematic name for the season. His name is Marquise Christmas. Oh, nice. He's terrific in that film. I'm a big fan. That's directed by Chad Hardigan. Chad Hardigan's also really talented. That That's just a lovely, lovely little film. Um, I also thought this year was interesting because there were so many biopics about the 60s. Oh, interesting. There were a bazillion. There was like Jackie, there was LBJ, there was Hidden Figures, there was Loving, a film that grew on me, you know, the story of the loving couple who mm. petitioned to be able to be uh, oh, to yeah. marry as an, inter- as an interracial couple. I thought that was like this strange little blip. You know, Jackie grew on me too with time. Um, I kind of kicked around a couple of ideas for my second pick. I thought for a second about Patterson. Oh, interesting, yeah. Driver is a bus driver Mm -hmm. and just, you know, loving his simple life or like wondering what what more there is to life than driving the same bus routine all the time. And kind of there's a a poetry to it that I thought was really beautiful. Okay. And then the film that I wound up picking actually surprised me. Um, I thought about maybe picking something to represent what an interesting year this also was for horror. You had, you know, The Witch came out and Don't Breathe and Green Room. You had stunts that were not that good, like Hardcore Henry, that film that was oh, all shot yeah, in yeah. yeah. And I wound up picking something that people also thought was a stunt, and yet I don't think it was. And I feel like we all really missed the boat on this film. So my second pick is Ang Lee's Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. 
Oh, wow. I remember that movie, but I don't think I've ever saw it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people didn't see it. And most people who saw it didn't see it the way that it was made. Because right. this is a film that was made in high frame rate. Okay. Which, you know, what that is, is like normal films go at 24 frames a second. This is the Hobbit frame rate. The Hobbit frame rate. Billy Lee, uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk goes at 120 frames a second. Oh, wow. And it becomes like hyper real, incredibly clear incredibly disturbing. Like it makes you almost feel nauseous to your stomach. It makes you feel like you're clawing your brain out. It makes you feel crazy. And usually that is not great. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not very useful, but it is perfect for this film. And it was, it was chosen with intention because this is a film about a soldier with PTSD. Oh, I love that. The setup for this film is there's a soldier played by Joe Alwyn. That's Taylor Swift's boyfriend. If you can picture his face. Yeah. Yeah. He's also in the favorite, really handsome blonde kid. And, um, he plays a soldier named Billy Lynn, and his squadron went under a huge rocket attack um, in Afghanistan. And now it's 2004, the same year, very early on in the Iraq War. And they've been flown back to America to go to an NFL game and to come out during halftime. Right. And Beyonce is there, and they're supposed to, like, march across, and everybody's waving at them. And you really get a sense with this frame rate how anxious he is how much the flames coming out of the guns that are giving a 20 book gun salute freak him out. How all of this American life after being in the war just feels disturbing to him and it feels incoherent and it feels like cynical and nationalistic and nonsensical. And you sense this poor kid going insane. I love that. And I mean, I don't love that, but I love that. I, I, cause it's something that I really feel like is not done Incredibly well, like that that sensation. I mean, we talked about this a little bit uh, last time. It was that uh, Jeremy Renner film, yeah. um, Hurt Locker. That I think you know that that target scene where you feel like, oh fuck, what's going on? And I feel like that's the closest I felt like when I've talked to different uh, soldiers, like that that feeling. But this seems like it really is is putting you in the whole mindset the entire time. It really is. It really is. Like it, that. I love that scene in the Hurt Locker, and this whole movie is basically that. And it seems a little bit lunatic at some points. You know, there's this um, Dallas Cowboys cheerleader who just starts bopping up to him. And she's like, I love you. Oh, write me forever. I love you forever. And when you think she's just nuts, you do realize she's kind of playing this role of like, I'm going to be the good American cheerleader romancing this soldier. Right, right, right. Everything in here is about how the people of America aren't ready to hear his reality of what's happening. And it is just such a mean Mean isn't right the word. It is just such a pointed satire that Ang Lee did. And it feels more American than any movie we've tried to make about the Afghanistan war. Yeah. I'm going to play a little clip of it. This is a clip when um, they're all at a press conference and all the journalists just want to talk about what heroes they are. And sometimes you'll hear their interior monologue. Okay. And then sometimes you'll hear what they feel like they can say to the press. Got it. What do you do during your downtime for fun? Masturbate. Masturbate. Pull over. What do you do during your downtime for fun? Most days we're putting in 12 to 14 hours. When we get a little kickback time, though, guys. I like to lift weights. I play video games. I have a plethora of board games. Yeah, my, uh, my baby girl sent us a copy of Shoots and Ladders. Keeps us battle ready. I like to kill my enemies and listen to the lamentation of their women. I from Conan the Barbarian. I just always wanted to say that. 
like that polite, yeah. awkward laughter is yeah. so much what this whole film is about. You know, just the gap between how we want to picture our soldiers and what we think it's appropriate yeah, for them yeah, to yeah. say and what they cannot say to us and what it's like when they look back at America through their eyes. And so the high frame rate just absolutely worked on this. And yeah, I don't know. It's weird. I felt like everybody kind of missed this film and missed what he was yeah, trying to I do don't and even missed know his intention yeah. and his satire. And I don't know if it works in 24. I've never seen it in normal frame rate. But yeah, I think this film is actually special and I don't want it to be forgotten. So that is my second pick. I like it. Well, you know, if we are going to talk about second picks, I will go back into the comedy well and also just give a special shine to pop star, Never Stop uh, Stoppin', uh, which is another film, if you liked our MacGruber recommendation, another film that kind of got uh, kind of not its moment in in the box office light. It, it got amazing critical response. Um, and I think people just miss what this movie was about, but it's a satire on, you know, the world of, you know, the Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande, like this big uh, pop music world uh, done by the Lonely Island. The songs are fantastic. I am in it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, but it's a really solidly funny movie that I think a lot of people may have missed from the way it was marketed. I, that's the only way I can kind of justify it. I know that it was like sold out at the Arclight, which is a theater of uh, well, of uh, of high renown here in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles, but uh, uh, for a long time, but it just didn't kind of connect with the people. And I don't know why. And, and maybe this is a movie like MacGruber that is better to be found on home video. I know that, so many people have found it after the film uh, has come out in the theater. So it's it's definitely one worth watching. If you've not uh, seen it, go find it. You will laugh. It is good. It is a solid, solid, funny movie with an amazing cast. Again, similar to the cast of MacGruber and everybody that you know and love. <laughs> I will back you up on it. I feel like I had the same experience watching pop stars I did with MacGruber. I went, I loved it. I wrote a rave review and nobody backed me up. And I was like, what happened? Yeah. Y'all were it, there. We had such a good time. This movie is fantastic. But it, but Popstar is that movie, though, that yeah. even gets like good reviews, though. It does get good Did reviews. Did it get good reviews? Oh, yeah. Sometimes it, like, I feel so alone. No, it, it was one of those movies. I, I'm going to look in the IMDb, uh, or sorry, the Rotten Tomatoes rating of it. But it, it's uh, it's 78% that's fresh. Good. That's yeah. pretty good for a big, broad comedy like that. You know, uh, that's almost 80. Um but yeah, that's really good. And and I, I have one other one that I want to talk about, but I didn't know if you were going to talk about this one at all. Um, Is it The the Shallows with the shark? Oh, whoa. Good choice. I was going to talk about one that kind of relates to our show, which is Hail Caesar. Oh. Coen Brothers film, kind of about the studio system. You know, uh, we have a fixer who's going around trying to fix uh, a disgruntled director, a singing cowboy. Uh, it's a great fun Coen Brothers film that again gets better and better on every watch and uh, and I just think that if you like this show it has a lot of different uh, connections to what we've talked about whether it's Wizard of Oz or you know John Wayne or you know just you know, Cary Grant like all these like this idea of like what the studio system was what the power dynamic was there how these movies were put together who became famous who you know who the gossip columnists wrote about it's it's I always think about that movie when I think about this show because we've dealt so much in that era and it has um scarlett johansson playing a swimming star who's a lot like one of my favorite people esther williams oh yeah yeah and you know esther williams if you're at all into celebrity autobiographies and you have not read hers it's 
amazing. It's called The Million Dollar Mermaid. She did all the big Busby Berkeley swimming musicals. And I got so nervous watching this movie because Scarlett Johansson does one of her big acts that she did in this film. Oh, yeah. Where she gets on this giant platform. She's wearing this little crown. She dives in. And I was freaking out because in real life when Esther Williams did that, the points of the crown broke the water and she almost snapped her oh. neck and she couldn't swim. She like she had to be dragged out of the pool. Jesus. So I was waiting for that scene to happen as soon as I saw that they were like yeah. mimicking it and it didn't happen. But I was, oh, I was losing my mind. Anyway, good book. Lovely picture. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The year is 2017. The best picture is La La Land. Oh, I mean, sorry, Moonlight. Uh, the World Met Salt Bay, Rompins, and Hollyweed. Fire Festival went up in flames. Kendall Jenner tried to solve police brutality with a Pepsi. Up 70% from previous years. The word most looked up on online dictionaries was feminism. Time Magazine's People of the Year were the silence breakers, the courageous women who spoke out against assault and abuse. Hashtag me too. Between three and four million people showed up for women's marches nationwide. The top song is Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. And the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture goes to the Emoji Movie, which I think we could probably agree they were in the right for. Uh, the losers that year were uh, Baywatch, The Mummy, uh, and Transformers The Last Night, which I did see in the theater. That did start Sir Anthony Hopkins. Um, Amy... What did AFI deem to be the best films of this year? The AFI's picks for the best films of 2017 were The Big Sick, Call Me By Your Name, Dunkirk, The Florida Project, Get Out, Lady Bird, The Post, The Shape of Water, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Wonder Woman. This is an interesting year. A big a big year. Some really great films. I um, had a little bit of a hard time picking a favorite or one to call out, but uh, what are you leaning towards this year? Honestly, I'll just say it up front. There are a lot of films I really love this year, a lot of films I'd even love to talk about, mm-hmm. and there was nothing that I wanted to pick from this list. Wait a second. Really? Yeah. Oh, I have two that are like right, <laughs> like that are fighting. I mean, I have three that are fighting for really? contention. Yes. I mean, then, let, then let's talk about yours because I like so many movies in this year, and yet nothing felt right with me. But okay. maybe you can change my mind. Well, I mean, okay. The three that I feel are worthy of of this list, right? Number one, I think the no-brainer is Get Out, right? I I like Get Out. I think Get Out is fine. I'm, wow. I, I, well, let's talk about it in the sense of culturally, this movie does something and it, it ignites America in a way where 
everyone loves, I mean, Get Out is a is a phenomenon, right? That That is part of this equation. It, it gets Academy Award attention. Um, it What is it that's sticking to you? I, I think it kind of does what we talked about with Sasha's Party, bringing like a very complex issue into something that's a little bit more popcorn-y uh, and I think opens people's minds in doing what it is also setting out to do, which is to scare people. It's hard. I mean, I really wanted to get to get in to get out. Like I remember seeing it at a midnight when it premiered at Sundance, being super excited. Yeah. The whole room had that electricity. And I loved the concept of it. I loved I loved my anticipation for it. And then when I when the movie started, it just felt so it felt like it was making so many careful homages to the movies that it also loved that it was honoring. That even though it had the one concept of uh, that made it modern, it never felt like its own film to me. Kind of like La La Land, to be honest. That La La Land was so busy like referencing Umbrellas of Cherbourg that it never felt like cohesive. It mm. never felt like I have a thing I want to say. Get Out felt like let me show you I have the horror background to make a horror film. That you know that I'm a comedian who can make a horror film. I want to prove to you that I know my stuff. It I felt that more than I felt a real. Solid movie. I don't know. I think just loving things like the Stepford Wives, loving the things that it paid homage to kept me from really feeling like I want to honor Get Out as an original work. And I know that that's harsh, but it is how I feel. Well, look, I will say that I saw this movie at midnight, uh, the night it came out in a crowded theater in New York City. And the response was incredibly electric. It was so much fun to see. I think, you know, uh, Jordan Peele like comes on to the scene establishing himself not only as somebody who is created, you know, some of the the best sketch comedy in the last decade, but now brings, you know, a very, I don't know, astute artistic view of horror. And I and I and I think there's other people out there that are doing that as well. I think Ari Aster has carved out a wonderful spot of of making something that's really elevated horror. Um, but there is something that about this movie that's so exciting. The way that I would agree with you is give me five years, give me three more Jordan movies or give me two more Jordan movies. And then let me say which one should go on the list because it's his first film. And is it going to be his best film? I don't know. You know, where does it fall in the mix? And that, that's something I'm completely open to. Like if, you know, um, I think that that movie shows like, well, where else can we go? And I think that, us did a great job of, you know, trying to do something different and equally complex. And, you know, for me, I like Get Out more than I like Us, but I like them both very much. And I think they're very interesting films. I just can't wait to see what he does next. Um, I just think that what I loved about this was he did establish himself as a voice. And I think that most directors are always kind of tipping a hat and, and paying homage to something. I think horror is a hard genre not to... Um, not fall into tropes, but to kind of reinvent tropes and kind of do things a little differently. And I think the social commentary and the way that he dealt with the social commentary uh, in a very, um, you know, out there way, like he put it in front of you. I think a lot of the time sci-fi backs up the social commentary. You have to be like, oh, that's what it means. He put it, he put it in the forefront instead of the background. And I thought that was bold. And I'm talking out of my ass here, but I also feel like he's also, you know, one of the few 
and tell me if I'm wrong on this, but like African-American, you know, horror movie directors, you know, and I feel like that also is something to be like, you know, they could come onto the scene. I think that that's something not to be rewarded, but acknowledged like that, you know, his first film, you know, captures everybody's imagination. Everyone loved Get Out. And I think it's when a horror movie works is when people who don't see horror go and enjoy horror films. And that's a, a very fine needle to thread. And I think on this list, we talk about horror. Science of the Lambs is that other movie. This, to me, is equal to Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I think it's scarier than Silence of the Lambs. I, I think that Silence of the Lambs has a better villain, obviously, because I think it's a very clear-pointed villain. But I think that mainstream horror there, I you can probably name them on one hand. I mean, it is like Shining, Silence of the Lambs. I mean, I would put Exorcist on that list probably. But uh, I, I think that this movie is incredibly, incredibly special. And until there's another Jordan Peele movie on here, I, I don't see how you can't put this on the list. I don't know. I think I'm just going to bet that he's going to make better films. I, I'm fine with that. But if I was to pick a movie that defines... 2017, hands down, boom, serve it up. I have no, I have no hesitation. Like it's, it's to me, it's like, think quick, boom, that's it. That was like my first thought was like, that's it. That like, I, I, I almost felt like, well, should I rethink it? Cause it's so quick to be like, well, that's the movie. I mean, that's the movie that's going to be on the list. I mean, when we talk about this list, I'm like, well, that, that's the one that clearly feels like it is, it hits every category of what the AFI rewards. Um, and I think it is special. I think the performances are great. And I think it rewards rewatchability. I think that this movie is similar to Sixth Sense, you know, in the same way. It's a, it's a director who is very clear. I mean, look, Sixth Sense pays homage to Hitchcock in, in many different ways. I think Demi's paying homage to different directors as well. I think that, like, I don't know. I think this movie fits almost perfectly on this list. Uh, as as what the other ones are up there. Would, would you, what would you put on here? You know, besides this, I mean, I know we talked about horror in another episode, but I know, I know. I mean, I will say, like, when we did our horror showdown, Get Out did not win. The people yeah. did not vote for Get Out over 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 other horror films. Well, we were at the way. horror film festival, you know, which I think you have to equate. I think you can't, like, you know, I mean, it, it's sort of like I think the sci-fi audience, I think the horror audience is going to pick a film that's going to be completely their own, you know, right? And and. uh and I think that that's what I like about this movie is it, it does transcend. Like my mom will see Get Out. My mom will not see Midsommar. You know, well, I uh, think your mom might like Midsommar. She may. She might. Uh, your mom should go see Midsommar with uh, with Ryan Gosling. I mean, maybe she shall. Um, will we get too jealous? <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, no. I think like there is a lot I appreciate about Get Out. I appreciate a lot about it, and mm -hmm. I really. Maybe I am not being fair to Jordan Peele and that my bar for him is so high. Mm -hmm. I just think his comedy show was some of the smartest stuff I've ever seen. Yeah. And I thought Get Out was good, but I didn't think it was as good as his comedy is. Wow. And so I, maybe that's maybe that's just in me. But I like really think he is a special brain. And maybe I'm being that strict teacher in class. Like, you could try harder, talented kid. Right. I think he could do a better movie than this. I, I appreciate a lot of his casting. I love that he cast Caleb Landry Jones. You know that I have a special yeah. part in my heart for like he's Stanfield. There's so much good in here, and yet I never felt like, for me, the scary parts were that scary, or even the funny parts were that funny. I felt like it was good, but I thought it was a beginner film. Hmm. And I feel like I'm, I'm sorry, no. please don't stab me, please don't. No, I, I'm not, no, I think, by, by the way, this is what I love about this show. Like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, you're wrong, and here's how I'm going to convince you otherwise. <laughs> like, look, 
that is all a personal preference. I would like to see a world where I could be a piece if Get Out made it on the next AFI list. If on the next one after that, it's replaced by three other films that are all great. And maybe one of them is a better Jordan Peele film. Okay. All right. I don't mind it like carving out territory, but right. I don't know if this is the top 100 of all time film. Okay. Um, so you would pick Sixth Sense over this? Hmm. No. I wouldn't. No. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I would get rid of both of them and ah, probably put on The Blair Witch and I would put on um, Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Interesting. Uh, that's, that is an interesting argument. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, then should I talk about my other second, like my other, like these are two that are fighting it out for me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'll end it on my one that I, I like one of the most, uh, but call me by your name. A beautiful, beautiful movie. Again, an un underrepresented uh, relationship that is on the AFI list. I mean, we know we just talked about it in Moonlight, but Moonlight's not on the list yet. Uh, I think this movie is beautifully acted. I think it's beautifully shot. I just think it's just a classically great film. I don't know if it is one of the best of all time, but it was, to me, when I'm thinking about these three films that I thought about, it was like, it It definitely, it's another movie that is beautiful. It's poetic. It's well acted and uh, and just kind of I think sometimes a, a movie that I or movies that I gravitate towards are movies where also the location it plays a character if you've ever heard that expression uh, but uh, but you know like these, they, they, this movie is like you just want to live in this world I just think it's a I, I think Army Hammer is the best he's ever been in this movie and I loved him as the Winklevoss twins and Social Network. Um, uh, but it's just, I just love this movie. I just love this love story. I mean, I, I love I'm, love yeah. stories. I think Army Hammer is really, really terrific in this movie. I, I just, the physical comedy of him and the tiny shorts climbing in and out of oh, tiny yeah. cars is just wonderful. I think he's fantastic. I like this movie. I really like this movie too. I don't know why it doesn't stir me that deep, but I really do like Did this it. Did it stir movie. you when you saw it or no? No, I think... There are so many Italian villa movies. Mm-hmm. And so I do think I have this little kind of momentary, like, got it. More bread and cheese, like, oh, these lives. And it, I, that's also on me. That is completely on me. So you're not like falling for Chalamet in Italy. I mean, Chalamet, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is our introduction to Chalamet, right? Yeah, it's a good Chalamet. I don't know. You're right. I feel like it is my fault that I don't love this movie more. It's just, I mean, again, I don't know if it's one of the like, I can't argue for this the way I could get behind Get Out and be like, I believe Get Out believes in the lungs and list. But I think of this year, this movie is a heavy hitter. It's a beauty. It's like, it's just like, I, I think these movies, like, I, at least the way I watch them, like when they hit you and you're like, oh, wow. I just like, wow. Like, it really, like, I, 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 it, it got me there a little bit more. I mean, and we watch a lot of movies. We both do. But this movie is like. It just kind of elicited a response to me. Even the ending, the ending credits is him staring, you know, at the the fire. You know, it's like, I'm, like, oh, I'm there. I'm like, yeah, like I'm I'm fully in. I love this movie. That's fair. I mean, I feel like if I hadn't already given a shout out to Tangerine, I would probably be saying Florida Project from this year. Yeah. I love the Florida I Project I love the Florida so Project. I, I think I picked Tangerine over the Florida Project, but Florida Project, whew, another great I think Florida Project is honestly movie. a slightly better film. But I think Tangerine you know, is so interesting with the iPhone thing. And so I go back and forth. Well, what would you say about Florida Project versus Call Me By Your Name? I would go Florida Project. You know, that's an interesting argument. I think, is it because I don't know if I feel like I've seen that kind of film represented on that list. You know, and it, it has elements of like Last Picture Show to me, you know, where it's, you know, it's, 
there's something really wonderful about it. Oh man, it's a, that's a tough one. That's a real toss up. Those two are a real toss up. They kind of live in the same world for me. Um, but I think I would pick Tangerine over Florida Project. I am jury is out on on uh, on Call Me by Your Name for me in Florida Project. I think I think Call Me by Your Name edges it out only because I I think I have a more emotional attachment to it. Whereas I was moved by Florida Project, I feel like Call Me By Your Name emotionally got me there a little bit more. Maybe for me, I would throw my chips more on Florida Project Mm -hmm. because it is at least a modern thing of our time. You know, it it tells a story of the time that it came out. Mm. And we are missing stories about our time where I feel like we have a lot of stories about the 50s and 60s. Mm. The kind of hazy, beautiful... Villa yeah. life. You know, I, I like something of motel life from us that belongs to us and our generation. You know, I'm going to say this, and I feel a little weird even saying it out loud, but the one, I don't want to put it on a list. I'm not ready to put it on a list. But the one I want to put a pin on and revisit in 10 years is downsizing. You have talked about this. All right, <laughs> go ahead. Hit me with what you got. Well, I just think that downsizing for a film about people being shrunk might wind up really growing in relevance. Mm-hmm. For us, I think it was trying to start a conversation about consumerism and our overabundant life. Yeah. And I think it was actually saying something valuable. And I don't know. There's some I don't I don't know. I feel like some, that something about that movie, the conversation around it came out on like kind of a a weird, awkward frequency where it made right. the film uncool instantly. Right, okay. And I don't exactly even know how why that happened. I feel like the more modern we get with our films, the more aware I become of like how the conversation shapes my mood in ways that I don't think are fair, and I have to peel off layers. But I think there was something... I didn't think Downsizing was a perfect film. I remember thinking like the third act got really kind of loogy. But I love the concept of it, and I'm curious. I want to grow with that film, and I want to revisit it later and see if I think... That film has even more to say to me. I, I should watch that movie because I like Alexander Payne a lot. And, and for whatever reason, I just avoided it. I was like, nope, not interested. I don't know why. Uh, and I walked away from it. And that that's my fault. Because uh, sometimes, you know, you're trying to catch up on all these movies and you hear enough, eh, you know, uh, you know, you just kind of avoid it. And that, that that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take your downsizing challenge. All right, let's take the downsizing challenge. We're going to watch it again in 2029. Now, but I can't believe that the other movie, and again, I thought we'd be debating these because these are three <laughs> of the, they're battling out, but Phantom Thread? I like Phantom Thread a lot. Okay. I just feel like there's so much competition to be the Paul Thomas Anderson film on this list. And that, I that's know, that's, the, okay, that's, you know, that really is the argument that, that I have with it too. It's like, yeah. what is the Paul Thomas Anderson movie on this list? And I, we, I wrestled with that when we talked about Django. Like, I love Django. But now, right now, and if you ask me, I'm like, I mean, part of me is feel like I have to put Reservoir Dogs on there for Quentin. And then now I'm like really, like, really into like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But like, I go back and forth a lot. But it's like, pick, I, I feel like I, belo- I love picking one. And I've kind of been swayed to what you said. I think Boogie Nights is maybe that one. I mean, There Will Be Blood is fantastic. I, I love, I mean, we talk about The Master a lot too. I don't know, but Phantom Thread is a great, as a, just a great movie and a kind of return, not a return to form, but a return to comedy. Like it's very funny. I mean, and, and I think that Paul Thomas Anderson does comedy really, really well. Uh, and I think Daniel Day Lewis, as it, you know, as his, his film that you know, is a swan song, it's just great. It's a great, it's a great, funny movie. I remember like, 
I was reading the script. Uh, one time I watched it, I read the script along with watching it because it was like, I'm just like kind of like enamored with the writing of it. It's such a, you know, an, an amazing thing. And I think when I watch Paul Thomas Anderson movies, I'm so blown away by the worlds that he inhabits and how incredibly different they are. And I think very few filmmakers do that. Like really stylistically uh, create fully different worlds. Like they may create worlds in which, oh, we're, you know, we're on 42nd Street in this movie and on this movie we're in the Lower East Side and in this movie we're in the Upper West Side. But like these movies are, every one of those films are very, very different. And uh, I, I I don't know. I, I uh, That movie, again, was a movie that I just was so excited by that year. <laughs> it was super good. And also... I'm kind of toggling back and forth myself with Lady Bird. Yeah, Lady Bird is a great, like, to me, your argument about Get Out is my argument about Lady Bird. That's fair. It's great. I've, I I loved it. Can't wait to see more. That's totally fair. I mean, I like Lady Bird, but Lady Bird also feels so much like my biography that I almost feel like I'm not allowed to put it up because it's I understand just like, that. I was a Catholic schoolgirl. I wanted to get out of my town. I, right. I feel that movie so deeply that it's just like, I almost feel narcissistic putting it forward because it feels too much like my life story. <laughs> I feel like I'm not allowed. No, put it forward. Get in front of it. I love it. <laughs> I mean, on that note, I actually really did like Three Billboards over Ebbing, Missouri. Okay, hitting no, the mic. That's no, fine. I know. I'm not going to put fine. it forth no, any harder fine. because I love no, Bruges, even though I'm Bruges. No, fine. but by the way, I like I, that movie got a lot of hate at a, at the end. I just thought it was fine. I felt like that was an outsider going. This is what America is. I'm like, it's not though. Like you created like I felt like that was like a sketch of like what, like it, like it served the purpose of telling a narrative that I didn't feel like is actually what it is. Where we talk about the Florida project, that's what it is. Like, you know, to a certain extent or we talk about police brutality, we talk about all these issues. It's like it just felt like a fucking slapstick version of that. I I don't know. I like I have an issue with it. I like the performances a lot. I mean, that's how I feel every time I see a Steve McQueen movie. Like the Steve McQueen, the Queen of Britain. Yeah. Every time he makes a film here about America, I'm always like, you don't know us. Right. Yeah, I get kind of touchy about it. That's how I felt about um widows i was like right. oh no no it doesn't ever feel lived in i will admit and you know this that the film i've seen the most on this list is the greatest showman oh i thought it was gonna be i Tanya. <laughs> definitely the greatest showman i this is not a good film however uh i think valerian in the city of a thousand planets has so much more imagination. Another How Did This Get Made special. But you know what? I agree with you. More movies like that. More yeah. imaginative, fun, world-building, crazy shit. Yeah, I love that. I feel like any two minutes of that film could have been an entire movie. Yeah. You know, just go to that planet. Go to that yes, planet. I wanted yes, so yes. much from that film. When I was kicking around ideas of things I also liked, uh, what I had up on my list, it's French, so it doesn't count, but I like that horror film Raw which is about a girl mm, yes. who goes to veterinarian school. That film is great. Yes. I also really liked Colossal with Anne Hathaway. Oh, yeah, and, and just Sudeikis, right? Yeah, and Sudeikis. You know, it's a film about alcoholism. It's made by Nacho Vigolando here. It's about a girl, you know, realizing that she is not just the biggest disaster in her life, but how her disasters affect other people. Mm. It's a terrific Anne Hathaway. I think Anne Hathaway is just an undervalued treasure, and she's amazing in that. Um and then I don't think I completely mean this, but I was thinking that of all the films of this year, besides Brad's status, which I also talked about already yeah. in the last episode, one that keeps kicking around my head, and I'm surprised it does, is Beatrice at Dinner. 
Did you oh, see that film? Yes, I did. It's like, um Selma Hayek, yes, John Lithgow. Yes, yeah. And she plays like um a working class woman who gets invited kind of uncomfortably yes. to have dinner with a bunch of rich people and it all goes very badly. Which kind of reminds me of little um like a little bit of knives out, which I really loved, but like that idea of like ta- tackling this kind of like we're comfortable, we're uncomfortable around. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, there's definitely a touch of that in this one. Yeah. And I want I I want to watch that film again too. That's also a pin. So Beatrice and Downsizing and Colossal are pins for me. I like it. Well, then can I put a pin in uh, another film yeah. on this list as well? I would like to put a pin. And it, again, it's not a movie that I am saying um, deserves to be on the list, but I think it's deserved to be seen, which is uh, a ghost story. I had a feeling you were going to say a ghost story. Like a ghost just told me you were going to say Oh, that. really? I, I don't know. I really love that movie. I just loved, I mean, it's a movie about grief and, uh, you know, obviously uh, it's told through the deceased perspective of like living in this house and and kind of the grief that the deceased is going through and watching you know, I don't know. There was something about that movie. And, and you know, you talk about like feeling a personal connection to it. I had gone through uh, a year. I believe that was the year where uh, my father-in-law, and my stepfather both passed away. And I was dealing, you know, in watching, you know, my wife and my mom go through a tremendous amount of grief and, and myself too. But, and it just really like, like, you know, I feel like that movie hit to me on a level that was like just very poignant. It's a very beautiful, again, artistic movie. I, I don't know, I, I but I, you know, sometimes when you watch a movie in that way, you just kind of, it hits you. It hits you in a, in a way that really is, uh, I don't know, special. It kind of like, it just spoke to me about grief in, in a way when I kind of needed it. That's really lovely. I feel guilty that for me, that movie got so reduced to what do you mean Rooney Mara never ate pie before but oh, she ate Jesus. that pie oh yeah that pie thing yeah so I yes I should I should watch that again too. I mean and I think you were talking about it before I mean I feel like everyone was talking about you know the thing that was so exciting about 2017 was that performance in Disaster Artist by that guy who played the DP he was so oh, he energetic was and he just really brought the whole film together and you know yeah like that scene with him and Franco was amazing and I uh, should definitely know, put a pin in him yeah put, put a, very, a pin, pin put a him. pin yeah. in him um, <laughs> I, I also feel like you know if we're talking about like I feel like Big Sick would be a movie that would definitely be a, a movie that would be up in the AFI contention for this year yeah you uh, can't put a pin in those abs though no I mean Kumail is jacked I saw Kumail on his journey to be uh, a fully uh, supersized, and he's been working his ass off. And uh, that movie, but Big Sick is a great, I love Michael Showalter as a director. I love that story. I think it's a very, uh, again, a story, underrepresented story, told in a really great way. Emily Gordon uh, wrote that film with Kumail. Kumail stars in that film. It's a great uh, Judd Apatow-produced film, and I think sometimes when Judd is at his best, and, I, and I'm a big Judd fan, but is when he is facilitating very unique voices. And uh, it gets me excited. It gets me excited to see, like, oh, what what is this story? And that's a, a movie, kind of a perfect movie. That and Lady Bird kind of exist to me. They're just beautiful, very specific, unique films to the directors and writers, or to, I should say to the writers of that film. I, I like those movies a lot. Yeah, I like them so much as introductions. Yeah. But that is interesting. When you look at the films we've been mostly talking about, they all do feel like, many of them feel like introductions. Yeah. I am here, please, but like, 
be ready for what I want to do next. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Do you think anyone's talking about Logan? Do you think people are saying that that's the movie of the year? I mean, Logan to me is great, super fun, great Wolverine movie. It doesn't, it doesn't like, it doesn't do anything that I don't think we've talked about in other superhero movies. I mean, yes, it's rated R, and yes, it brings Wolverine to a different version. But if you're going to say to me like, right now, this or Deadpool? Like battle it out. I pick Deadpool. I think Deadpool like kind of pushes a boundary harder than what Logan does. I think I think I'd pick Logan. You would pick Logan over it. Yeah, over Deadpool. Yeah. yeah. I think I'd put Mad Max over Logan, but Logan over Deadpool. I There's would something pick in Logan that's so like avant garde theater. Yeah, mm. I just picture Patrick Stewart coming out of the darkness like it's waiting for Godot or something. I mean, I Howling. love this movie. It's a great I mean, it's it's great. I feel like but I feel like it's an if you took away the Wolverine of it, it's just a regular independent film, right? I mean, like it just kind of like they took the artist, they took the artistic nature of what a of a, what a independent film is, and they kind of didn't put a superhero. Like I'm all I'm all there. I love this movie. I'm just saying, but but it doesn't. I I'm, I don't know. I like I feel like it. It, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm now I'm thinking about it. Like, what I picked that over Deadpool? I mean, I really like Logan. I watch it in black and white and everything. Uh, I mean, look, uh, hmm, I don't know. I'm gonna stick with my original thought and say that I think Deadpool made a bigger, stronger, artistic choice. Whereas I feel like this falls into a zone that is not safer, but like the idea of like adulting. Uh, a superhero movie. I'm like, okay, I, I, it was did you done just well. Adulting as a verb. Yeah, I did because I'm like, I, like I mean, that's look, get on the internet, that's happening. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, but I feel like like I, I think, and based on the director, things definitely, you know, this and Joker. I mean, I'm this uh, much higher than Joker, but yeah, I don't know. That's where I feel like. That's where I'm at on that one. Okay, what about Deadpool and Mad Max? Oh, Mad Max. Okay. I mean, 100% Mad Max. I mean, maybe 2017, when you really look at it, feels like the beginning of a new of of that switch again. Mm. You know, I really do feel like we're seeing the so start of where things are going to go in 2017, that we've been talking about where we want money to be. And now in 2017, they're putting it. And I think it's all great. And I want to encourage it. And I want it to get better. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 1975, to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Laurel. 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 All right, well, Amy, let's move on Laurel. to 2018. Laurel. Do you hear Laurel, Laurel. or Yanni? Prince Harry married American actress Meghan Markle, also on the league. A Banksy painting self-destructs immediately after purchase for $1.4 million. The Golden State Killer was captured after 32 years. James Comey testifies in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Rudy Giuliani admits Trump repaid Michael Cohen for Stormy Daniels' hush money. Bill Cosby is convicted of being a violent uh, perv. Uh, People's Sexiest Man Alive is Idris Elba. The top song is God's Plan by Drake. And the Golden Raspberry goes to... 
two, Holmes and Watson. The losers of that year were Gotti, the Happy Time Murders, uh, and Winchester. What were AFI's picks for the best films of 2018? AFI's picks for the best film of 2018 are Black Panther, Black Klansman, Eighth Grade, The Favorite, First Reformed, Green Book, If Beale Street Could Talk, Mary Poppins Returns, What the Fuck, A, a Quiet Place, and A Star is Born. Well, no, Amy, we spent a long time last year talking about all these movies. And if you want to hear us get into very in-depth conversations about them, you can listen to our Oscars special from last year. Uh, But I figured maybe for this year, what we could basically do is just say, like, because we have examined these. Now that a year has passed, what is still jumping out at you? You know, now that a year has passed... My number one is still my number one, and that's Sorry to Bother You. Mm. I love that film. I just yeah. think it's in everything. I think it's brilliant, smart, artistic, well-cast, well-acted, hilarious, funny, a little bit scary. I think it is a fresh voice who I hope Bruce Riley goes on to do a bazillion other things mm-hmm. as good as this. If he didn't, I feel like he made a film where he got everything in. He was like, if I never get to make a film again, this is everything I've ever wanted to do. And he just did it. And I'm so proud of him, and I love this film so much. Um, so that'd be my pick. And then my number two actually is one that's climbed up on me in the last year. Okay. And that's First Reformed, which we talked about. And yes. I now really feel more solidified in wanting to put forth First Reformed. I I like that you have raised that one up. You know, um, I talked a lot of last year about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I really love that movie. I think there's a conversation to be had about animation on this list because we've talked about a lot of great animated films, you know, whether it's Lego Movie, whether it's Frozen, whether it's even The Lion King. And we've, we've mentioned a lot of them. And like which ones go on there to represent something? I think that, you know, I still feel a, a real strong connection to Spider-Man because again, it's, it's kind of breaking ground in a new territory. It just feels different and inclusive and, uh, and just, again, a story that hasn't really been told in a main way so that it does hold up for me. But, um, I think the movie that I've thought about the most in the last year has been Roma. Oddly. Um, I really, I just that the imagery of that movie has stuck out to me. I just thought it was like a really beautiful movie. I don't know if, again, I don't know if it's a movie that I'm saying like it belongs on the list, but I, I think it's like, I, I think about that movie a lot. And I, I'm surprised that I'm even saying it, but I was like looking on the list and I was like, what have I really like thought about? And I'm like, what, you know, what has stayed with me? And I think the, like the imagery of Roma and that storytelling and that world Really, I don't know. I like that one is that one is there for me. I, I don't, uh, you know. Um, I also will say that the movie that I probably bring up the most on this list is "You Were Never Really Here." Uh, it was a movie I go back to a lot, like as the real Joker. W- w- yes, or to our point just a minute ago about Logan. Like I'm like, that's the movie that I go. That's like, I don't know why I like that movie so much. Maybe I'm changing it right now. That movie I think I talk about the most. I think I saw that movie. I was surprised by that movie. I was like, this movie is cool. It's different. It's it's adding like a realist version to the fantastical movies that we all go to see. And we love the John Wicks and the Takens and all that sort of shit. And I and I, there's something about it that I really like. Oof, it it it, uh, it still gets me. So that's where I'm at. You know what I'm realizing as we're going through this is maybe part of why the AFI list has always skewed so old is the same nervousness and fatigue that we're feeling about the modern films. Yeah. 
that it, it we do have to put some time between us to be able to have that clarity. Yeah. That we're like, oh, all these people have just been talking about Fargo left and right. right. I don't know about it. Too modern for me. Well, I mean, once we get to 2017, I'm like, uh, I'm like jello. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's like, because like it feels too, it feels too quick to judge. I think the AFI does have a rule where you can't get a film on the list until a certain amount of years have passed. I think that that's smart. I feel like five years is a good litmus for like when a film should be able to get on the list because it's like five years means it's joker baby which is current number 14 on the imdb like top 250 films of all time deserve it on that list bam um well all right so go back listen to our oscar specials last year i have a feeling we'll do oscar specials this year but do you want to maybe just touch on 2019 yeah maybe briefly yeah i'm gonna take my horse to the old town road i'm gonna Ride till I can't no more. I'm gonna take my horse through the old town road. I'm gonna ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back. Marsai Martin is the youngest executive producer at age 14 for her film, Little. Missy Elliott is inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, she's the only female rapper in there. Grey's Anatomy will become the longest-running primetime medical drama in TV history. Lori Lightfoot is elected mayor of Chicago. She's the first black female and openly gay leader of Chicago. This makes Chicago the largest city in the country to have a female mayor and the largest city to have a queer mayor. Uh, Beyonce finally releases her entire catalog on Spotify and also launches her doc, Homecoming. Spike Lee wins his first dang Oscar. We got to talk to him this year. Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming, is the most popular memoir ever. Youth-led climate activism spreads globally. We love you, Greta Thunberg. And the top song is Old Town Road by Lil Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh, Amy... I'm still getting into 2019. I mean, does AFI have already released the list of their top They 10. have already released their list. What is it? The films of 2019, according to the AFI, are 1917, The Farewell, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Knives Out, Little Women, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Richard Jewell. Wow, interesting. No, that's, this is, uh, we're recording this actually after the weekend that Richard Jewell bombs at the box office. Like, just tanks in an epic way not that that means anything as as our conversations have proven time and time again that but it is interesting that Clint Eastwood doesn't often take one on the chin and this one does and interestingly uh does because I think this is the one that feels like the biggest simple hit I'm like oh this should be a huge hit um did you see it I did see it I did see it I saw it at the AFI Film Festival premiere actually which I think a lot of the voters must have seen and then immediately voted on it in I have it as a screener at home right now I'm excited to watch it uh, Paul Walker Hauer or Paul Walter Hauser, I'm not quite sure of his yeah. name offhand. He is really great as Richard He's Jewell. Always great in whatever I see him in, from I Tanya to Cobra Kai. I enjoy watching him work. And everything horrible about the female journalist character is absolutely true. Oh my gosh. Oof. Like I left the film, went to the after party, was eating the mini cheeseburgers and just bitching about it angrily as I stuffed mini cheeseburger <laughs> in my mouth one at a time. Well, let's just talk about the worldwide gross right now. Uh, as of today, which we are recording this a little bit earlier than normal. December 16th, the worldwide gross is Avengers Endgame, Lion King, Spider-Man Far From Home, Captain Marvel, Toy Story, Aladdin, Joker, Hobbs and Shaw, Frozen 2, uh, Z, Niza, The Wandering Earth, How to Train Your Dragon, Hidden World, Maleficent, It Chapter 2, Pokemon, Detective Pikachu, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, that's that's kind of what the first uh, 15 look like. Um 
I've seen a lot on that list so far. I had to say, I just saw Knives Out. I loved it. I thought it was so well-written and so fun. I, you know, we talked about Marriage Story. I love that one as well. Um, you know, right now, the movie that I'm obsessed with and I'm thinking about because I just saw it is Uncut Gems. That's where, like, I'm like, my energy is at Uncut Gems right now. Oh, man, if your energy is at Uncut Gems level, I can't even believe you're sitting at this table. And I'm I like, know. It's a very, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit more because I don't want to spoil it because there's a lot of movies that are out here that people are just getting to see for the first time. Amy and I get to see a lot of this stuff earlier because of screeners and because of uh, Amy is, you know, a world-famous critic. But uh, but this is an interesting year so far. This is a good movie year. I mean, Book Smart is out this year. Uh, you also have movies like fun movies like Dolomite. Uh, you have Apollo 11, which is a great documentary. It's an amazing documentary. Oh, so good. Midsommar, uh, The Farewell. Um, yeah, I love Midsommar. I love Uncut Gems. I think Little Women is great. I have I'm to see it. Parasite. To see Women. Parasite. Of course, I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but my two kind of underdogs oh, yeah. of for this year, the films that, that I already really love. Yeah, that I can tell because we've already we've already done our Lafka films of the year yeah. voting. The two that I found myself voting for because I've sat down, not quite sure where I was yeah. going to go, were consistently Waves and the Last Black Man in San Francisco. So if you I've heard seen so those, much about Last so Black good. Man in San Francisco, yeah, I can't yeah. wait to see that. The ending is weak. Everybody says the ending is weak. I 100 percent agree, but everything up until the ending is just terrific. It's like it's so good that I don't even care that much that the ending is bad. Oh wow! Okay, well this. Sorry, is... I don't know. That, does that count as a spoiler? No, it doesn't. It, no, it doesn't. It's so great, you don't even care. All right. Well, uh, I look forward to kind of digging into this with you as uh, as we get a little bit more into award season. Uh, those are good ones to recommend. Uh, if you've not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, go and see that because I am a big, big fan, and I feel like. Um, the other movie that I got to call out right now is a movie that I, when I watched it, I walked out of the theater and I said this, I go, that movie is going to win all the awards. Uh, and that's Jojo Rabbit. Do you really think so? I think that movie is going to win the Oscar. And I'll tell you why, because in a year where you have so many different flavors going on, it does that thing where it slices up the middle, but it's the shape of water. Yes, but different. Cause I kind of think this movie is artistically well done. I think it is uh, beautiful to look at. It's well acted, but it kind of, I just think it's World War II. I think it's going to, I think it has a chance to where people may be split on Quentin Tarantino and Scorsese uh, or, or, or more, more. I don't know. You know, I'm like, I think that movie kind of like it appeals. It kind of like, it could kind of be the under, the underdog that kind of gets a lot of heat and traction. That's my thought at this point. Yeah, because all the critics groups were all voting for Parasite Best Picture, which right. I feel like I'm fine with. It's not, I think. But is that yeah. going to be? Uh, it won't. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, for us, like the big debate is, will it even make it into the Best Picture list? Or right. Will it break so, out of the foreign film list? Right. So that's the question it will have to be. And I feel like, but I don't know if a foreign film wins. Best picture. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I think already the Oscars are so, um, like, kind of hoity toity about what is even nominated for best picture. Like, it's not what the people have decided uh, that that would be one step further removed. I, I just don't, you know, uh, but. I have not seen Parasite. I don't know anything about Parasite. I'm excited to see Parasite. I have two children, so a lot of times I'm sneaking out to see things, and uh, and that will be the next one. You Knives just leave out. them in the car. I should, yeah. Knives Out was the one that I wanted to see before I was spoiled by anything because I felt like that was like there's 
things racing around on the online. So I am definitely going to get to Parasite next. That's my next one. Very excited to see it. Very excited. But I guess that wraps it up for this episode. We've gone through 2016, 2017, touched on 2018 and 2019. And now in our next episode, we're going to take calls from you. And we have so many great people calling in. You're going to be blown away. We have Academy Award nominated directors calling in. We have uh, voices that you're going to recognize. But most importantly, we're going to hear from you. And second, most importantly, we're going to hear from our producer and our sound engineer who've put together their list, their top list. And these guys are the lifeblood of the show. They, they are They are right here. You don't hear them all the time on mic, but they are, they have opinions, they have very strong opinions, and I'm very curious to hear what they have to say. Uh, so as we bill all that, I have one final question for you. Amy, out of all the films that we talked about this week, are there any Simpsons? I found some things, again, that I believe are in the beautiful key of films that I have mentioned, a key, one that's in the key of Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk, one that is in the key of First Reformed, and then one that was... Uh, Flung to my attention by at Ham Eddies, who said there is an episode of The Simpsons that is dedicated to boyhood, and we didn't talk about it last week. Oh. So I want to play that too. It I is love called that. Barthood. Son, I've learned one thing in this life: to stay out of trouble, just say nothing. Don't rock the boat. Don't even get in the boat. Just buy some ice cream and walk around the pier, but don't go in the bathrooms. They're filthy. Dad, I am going on a talk show. I have to say something. Talk about boats. Then when he asks you if you hate this country, you just start crying and pretend you don't. But I don't hate this country. There, there. Save your lives for the American public. I'm Nash Caster, and it's time to butt heads. Bart Simpson, what do you hate most about this country? Is it the freedom? Nash, I've realized something. I'm the worst kid in the world, and the last thing I deserve is forgiveness. But with a little help from Jesus and our fighting men and women overseas. All right, so if I hear you correctly, you're saying America is better than Jesus. Do you agree? Ah, before he can answer, do you? Well, America's not perfect. So America isn't perfect. Is that why you and your son hate us? If by us, you mean loudmouth talk show hosts, which everyone seems to be in this country, then yes, I do hate Americans. What are they doing to the church? We're rebranding it. The old church was skewing pious. We prefer a faith-based emporium teeming with impulse buy items. I feel like I want to throw up. Then my work is done. Why does Jesus have a lasso? Because he's all man. Money changed. Get your money changed right here in the temple. Ugh, that could not be more blasphemous. Why is the sky blue? I don't know. Just is. Why are clouds white? No clue. Why are people yellow? It's the way God made them. Why is grass green? So you can find your damn golf ball. Now I have a question for you. Why did you leave your toy car on the stairs? Why is blood red? Why do you ask? It's coming out your ear. Don't! All right, that's the end of this week's episode. And next week, we invite you to join us to tell your best films of the decade and then we will judge you on air where you can't respond i can't wait amy see you next week
love a classic chocolate chip cookie. Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.